what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Welcome to BS, Beyond Stereotypes, a podcast about lawyers using their authentic voices to change the world. As I think, you know, I, I roll differently, right? I just, <laughs> I, I chart my own course, as they say, and I have a very strong constitution about what I want to do with my life and, and how I want to get there. I, I, you know, as I said earlier, I never grew up knowing the difference between a law firm partner and a law firm associate. So it was never my goal in life to be a law firm partner. I, I saw it as a means to an end, not as an end in and of itself. And and so at some point in my career, I I thought, you know, I could actually do more good as a general counsel rather than as a partner in a law firm. Welcome to BS, Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host, Merle Vaughn. Here to BS with me today is my friend, Claudia Sokono, whose story I find fascinating and who will no doubt inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hey, Claudius, how are you? Good. How are you, Mo? Good, good. I'm so happy to have you here. It's been too long. I certainly have not seen you since um, we all went in lockdown three years ago, and that's way too long. So I'm happy to have this conversation with you. No, it's really good to see you. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So the way this works is we're, you know, we're going to have a conversation. First, I'd like to give uh, our listeners an idea of kind of a brief uh, bio. I don't go into long bios. They can Google you and they'll find plenty. Um, but Claudius is currently the general counsel, corporate secretary and chief administrative officer at Unisys in New York. Uh, prior to that, he was uh, in-house at another large company as an uh, associate GC. Um, he has been at three different Amlaw 100 firms um, and started his legal career at the SEC uh, in D.C. Um, he received his Bachelor's of Laws uh, degree from the London School. London South Bank University, his Master of Laws, LLM, from the London School of Economics and King's College, and a second Master's of Laws, LLM, at Georgetown. Um, what did I miss, Claudius? I don't think you missed anything. You usually don't miss anything. Thank you. I appreciate that. So where I, where I love, I'm, I'm really excited to get into to this with you. Where I usually start is by asking uh, my guests to give me an idea of your story. Give us kind of your story, where you're from uh, uh, and kind of what that journey has been like to where you are. And, and more importantly, who in your family or in your education or in you know just your circle um your helped you become who you are 
Uh, thank you for that, Marl. Um, I, I, my story, sometimes I, I said I reflect on that. I was born in London, England, uh, to uh, Nigerian parents who had gone to England in the in the early 60s um, to continue their education. And um, at some point, for reasons I still don't quite understand, uh, my parents decided that I would go to school in Nigeria whilst they stayed behind in London. And um, that that is a very sore subject for me from time <laughs> to time. Um, and then I, I, so I went to boarding school in Nigeria, finished my, what we call O-levels, which is high school, and then moved back to England and, and did my first law degree and my second law degree. And um, at, at some point during my first law degree, my, what, what you would call a JD, I did a summer internship program in New York with a now deceased George. And the idea was that my school and the program that I was associated with took a bunch of minority as law students and brought us to New York to work with minority judges and lawyers. Mm. And you might ask, you might ask, don't you all have enough black judges and senior lawyers in England for you guys to work with? And the answer to that would be no, we did not, which in and of itself was a problem. And and so some of that shaped my early thinking around where I wanted to practice law because I saw people that looked like me, uh, frankly, doing big things that I thought I was capable of doing. And so at the conclusion of that program and at the conclusion of my law degree, I ultimately decided that I wanted to practice law in the U.S., um, which then brought me to Georgetown Law School in D.C., where I did an LLM in securities and financial regulations, and then went on to work at the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Honors Program uh, for a number of years. Um, after my time at the SEC, I thought it made sense for me to go to private practice, and um, I, I worked in New York. At, as Mel had said earlier, two, three different law firms, first as an associate, then at a part, as a partner uh, in the latter two. And what I, what I take from all of that is the idea that, you know, as a young kid growing up, I couldn't even tell you what a partner was, much less how to get there. Right. But through the through the course of my career, I have been very, very fortunate um, to run into people who've taken me under their wings, who've advised me, counseled me, and have been mentors of mine. Um, as I said, I worked for a judge, Judge Abdul Salam in New York State Court as a young law student in London. Um, she encouraged me to think bigger than I was could even conceive for myself at the time. Um, when I went, when I went to private practice in New York, I worked for a partner who essentially took me under his wings and promoted me um, and frankly stood by me when I didn't know what I was doing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but those were people that um, that mentored me through the course of my career. Um, his name was Hector Gonzalez, who is he's now a judge in the Eastern District of New York. Um, Michelle Mays, who I'm sure you know, has yeah. always been a, always been a rock for me, um, and she's she's guided me and helped me think through a lot of issues. Ted Wells was a partner at Paul Wise. Uh, people that I call on as I make important decisions about, particularly about my career. So when I when I think of people who have, so I have surrounded myself with who've helped mentor my career, those are some of the people that come to mind. And and I I will say this uh, at this point, as a teaching moment and as a learning learning tool for for younger lawyers in particular, and, and frankly for all of us, it. it I, you want people to be in the room where you are not in, who can speak for you and who can speak well yes. about you, because that that makes a world of difference. So I, I've been fortunate through the course of my career to have those types of people who who guided me and helped me get to where I am, which I'm pretty confident I couldn't have done on my own. That's that's great. Thank you. I I actually learned a few things. And one one question that I have from what you just said was. Even though you, it sounds like you had a little, you're a little disconcerted about the fact that you were sent away to boarding school in in, uh, Nigeria. Did that experience help you uh, uh, come to the United States? Because it sounds like you came here by yourself um, all alone. Was, Was that at least beneficial for that experience? Um, yes, you you are right that I I came by myself. I figured it out by myself, and, right. and I uh, and you know here we are, twenty something odd years later. I, look, I I think going away to Nigeria without my parents was a, a very very significant learning experience. Then going away to boarding school where I had to fend for myself, plan my time, plan my life. And manage, you know, my life, my money, my resources to get through school was a, an experience you learn from and you grow from, and, and and makes you a better person if you're if you're successful at it. And I and I think what 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 I what I think I've learned most from that experience is being able to be self-sufficient and being able yeah. to. And on my own two feet, and try and figure things out because there's no mom and dad to figure things out for me or, or whomever else. And so when I made the decision that I was going to come to the United States, um, I, you know, I didn't have any sponsors, I didn't have anybody else. I just started figuring it out. And I, I, I'll tell you an anecdotal story. Um, I, I'll try and make it short. Okay. Uh, you know, when, when I when I when I wanted to come to the U.S., I I called up Mandy Hubble. I mean, some I may be dating myself here, but some people would remember the big, thick Mandy Hubble um, law directory uh, long before the internet oh, came right. along. Mm-hmm. And I I called up the company that sold that, and I asked to buy a directory because I was looking for law firms and looking for work. And the lady who answered the phone um, thought that I had a great accent, and so <laughs> she she told me that the 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 edition that was up for sale was 
you know, they, they recycle it every year. And so there was no edition to buy. But she offered to give me a free copy of the old edition and sent it to me in England. And that's, nice. that's the first half of the good story. The second half of that good story was I then started calling around just looking for people that had that I had anything in common with. Right. Mm -hmm. So people who had Nigerian names, people who went to school in Nigeria, people who went to school in London. And I called and I called and I called. And then I stumbled on this woman who at the time was an associate at Jackson Lewis. Mm -hmm. uh, her name is her name is Uchente. She is now at Prudential. And, you know, I didn't know her from anywhere. I just called, called her and said, look, you have a Nigerian name. I have a Nigerian name. Can you help me move to the U.S.? <laughs> uh, she's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any money. I don't have any dead uncles. <laughs> I don't have any bank accounts. I'm like, um. but, you know, that started a relationship and a friendship that has lasted the last 30 years. She, she told me how to take the bar. She sent me her bar review books. Uh, you know, got me a hotel in New York City when I came to take the bar at a discounted rate. So, you know, that people come into your lives at all sorts of different places. And th those have been people that I, I have been fortunate enough when I put myself out there, you know, to try and figure it out who've been who've been helpful to me. I mean, you were helpful to me when I was thinking about law firms and what I wanted to do with my career. And I remember many, many a conversation that we had, some of them fights, right? But <laughs> yeah, where am I going and how am I going to get there? So, look, you know, um, my, my, my biggest boarding school experience and moving as a young child without my parents to go live in Nigeria was simply to teach you how to stand on your own two feet, how to make smart decisions and how to manage through problems. And I'm grateful for that experience. That's that's amazing. I mean, I and it's so different, you know, for parents, especially now and especially uh, American parents, like your parents were the opposite of helicopter parents, right? right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, now, I mean, it's hard to even I mean, people do go to boarding school in in the U.S., but it you know it's it's probably for different reasons, right? It's not to teach you how to stand on your own two own two feet. It's to to uh, basically put you in a situation where you're probably gonna be considered uh, uh, for almost legacy you know purposes to IVs and stuff like that. It's a very different scenario. Um, so well, it's also it's also a cultural issue, right? I I found as I've traveled, as you know, I I'm not married, right? As I've traveled around the and had friends in in air codes, right? And you talk uh -huh. about where do you want to have your kids and what you want to send them. Most people are modified by the idea of sending their kids away to boarding school, and the concept of sending your kids away seems to be a, a big a big problem here. I mean, I didn't think of it as my parents sending me away. I was glad to be away. I'm there with my friends 24-7. Right. And then have autonomy. And and that sometimes I would I would argue that it's not for everyone. Button school is not for everyone. But for people like me, I it was it was quite an eye-opening experience. And I I don't quite understand why 
on this side of the pond, people think of it as in a negative, if you will. Right. And and it also gave you an exposure, a real life exposure to to uh, your roots. Right. You're a right. different culture. You know, yours was my roots for, you know, it, for that matter that I've never experienced. And, um, you know, hopefully one of these days I'll have an opportunity, but I certainly would never be able to to be engaged at that kind of, you know, uh, be inserted into the, the culture that way. I'll take you. I'm I'm ready. I I did I know I know what percentage Nigerian I am. I'm more more Nigerian than anything else, and I would love to go. Yeah. U.S. versus U.K. legal legal system. I mean, you've already, you know, uh, told us that one of the things is that they're not a, a bunch of folks who look like you. At least there weren't back then. I don't know if that's changed at all. Um, and so it it felt. Uh, more familiar and and like maybe you'd have more opportunities here in the U.S. and you certainly have taken advantage of them and and succeeded. Is it still that way in the U.K. and and what is that based on? Is it, you know, is it based on the barrister versus solicitor system? Is it class issues? Is it racial issues? What is it? Um, I I I is it still that way today? Yes, I think things have improved somewhat. But it, 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 in my experience and in my opinion, it remains that same way now, not just in the legal profession, but in other professions as well. Um, I think the legal profession, uh, given its traditional nature, maybe suffers more from this problem than, than say, perhaps other professions. Um, as I think you know, there's a solicitor slash barrister uh, mm-hmm. divide, and it takes a long, long time to be successful, particularly on the barrister side. And so it historically was the exclusive purview of people who came from money, right, and who were class in that upper echelon of class, because unlike the U.S., where I, some would argue you have a racial barrier in the UK there's the added layer of class barriers right and mm-hmm. so when you put those things together the the legal profession at least in my own opinion has suffered from um, a combination of issues that have made access um, to the topmost echelons of legal profession particularly difficult for minorities. What is interesting, right, is that as I was coming here, um, U.S. law firms were taking hold in England and and in Europe more generally. And I think that has been a positive. A A lot of the minorities that I know of, at least in England, tend to be partners at U.S. based firms. And 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 if one did a study of that, I think it is fair to say that there are more black partners in England at the U.S.-based firms than there are at the traditional magic circle firms. I, I think that's right, just based on anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. The people that I know, it is not unusual for me to get calls from young lawyers and England who were like, look, how did you make it? And 
we want to come do what you do in America because they had very few opportunities for us here. And, and so when you put all of that together, I think there are market conditions. I mean, this is obviously a significantly bigger legal market than in England, right? Mm-hmm, right. Um, you know, you have the AMLO 100 and you have the Magic five or six firms or whatever it is. And so when you look at the size of the market here, there's just way more opportunities for people to explore, particularly people who've gone to big, great schools in England with a great pedigree, but no job. So that that they then there's all the social cultural racial issues on top of all of that and then, and so i think there's been progress but clearly not enough well and you know that's such, and i do know that you know in terms of i mean putting aside the the current uh phenomenon that we're going through which i would argue is you know we're going backwards racially and and culturally um it it at least in the US we are we have made some progress in, in what we're allowed to do legally. I know in um uh, in the UK there are certain things that you can't even you can't track, you can't talk, you know, uh uh for for hiring and and such you can't even talk about. I think you may be able to talk about gender, but maybe not race. Is that your understanding? Yes, that is my understanding, I, I, and it has consequences. Yeah, you know, and I, I think, you know, that there is no question, right, that there is room for improvement on the U.S. side as well. Um, but, but I, I just think that the U.K. and, and other parts of Europe are even much further behind the U.K. than than even say the U.K. is concerned. So. They, there's there's a significant lack of opportunity for everybody, frankly, and then even less so for for minorities, and that that presents an ongoing problem, but both in private practice and in house, right? So, and then government is very different. They have, you know, you go work in the government, you might end up staying there forever. Unlike say here, where there's a pipeline and a sort of some would call it a revolving door between between sort of private practice and government service and people go to private practice then go do government service and come back out and then so, so you don't you just don't have that on the on the UK side of things or at least certainly not as much okay and so that's a good segue into to your uh your journey through uh uh big firms. I know, you know, I can brag on you when we met, I mean you had a, a phenomenal uh, book of business. I mean, something just, you know, unheard of. Um, and you were, you know, highly successful in, in law firms and, you know, uh, and, and then you went in house. Why, why did, why did you want to make that transition? And, 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 you know, how is it going? Um, uh, th- thank you for that. I, that that's nice to hear. As I as I as I think you know, I I roll differently, right? I just <laughs> I I chart my own course, as they say, and I have a very strong constitution about what I want to do with my life and and how I want to get there. I I you know, as I said earlier, I never grew up knowing the difference between a law firm partner and a law firm associate. So it was never my goal in life 
to be a law firm partner. I, I saw it as a means to an end, not as an end in and of itself. And and so at some point in my career, I, I thought, you know, I could actually do more good as a general counsel rather than as a partner in a law firm. And I thought, the, I probably at the time there were a handful of black general counsels at Fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. and 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 I sort of felt, and I think rightly so, that those who were in that circle, as small as it was, had the ability to do a lot of good. They didn't always do a lot of good for for all sorts of reasons. Um, but they had the ability to do a lot of good, much more so than law firm partners. And they had the ability to influence the direction of the legal profession, frankly, in my mind, and I still think this to be true, far more so than law firm partners, at least on the social issue side. And and so I thought I'd go do that. <clears throat> I had done law firm for 17 years, and I thought, uh, let me go do something else. I'd done government, I'd done law firm, and I thought this was a good way to enter the sort of third quarter of my career, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and and do some good. Um, so I, as you know, went to work for a client of mine as a deputy general counsel with a view to becoming a general counsel, which thankfully I accomplished, and I'm now a general counsel. And that I can was hire quick whatever. too. That was so. That was pretty freaking quick, <laughs> Claudius. I'm impressed. I think so. I think so. <laughs> I think so. And like it, you and I talk about these things all all the time, right? And it wasn't exactly an easy decision, right? I was a partner at Sherman and Sterling, very prestigious firm in New York. I was the first black partner at the firm in a hundred and something years. It wasn't exactly sort of something that one would necessarily give up for an unsure thing, right? It wasn't like I walked out the door as general counsel. I walked out the door as a deputy to pay my dues and then hopefully become the general counsel. And, and again, you went to I, Texas. Not that we're going to diss Texas, but you did yeah, go to Texas. Well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. And again, it, it goes back to what you said earlier, right? Being able to see an opportunity, being able to take the opportunity and being able to make of it something good are difficult decisions. And so when I sort of left law firm, I I agonized about whether or not it was the right decision. I missed the prestige of being a major law firm partner. I had fewer girlfriends, but um, <laughs> I, made, I made less money. And, um, I know, and we might add that I placed you at that law firm, so I know how much money you were making. <laughs> you know, so, you know, and, and then you go off and somehow sometimes people view that as a backward step. And I, you know, I didn't I didn't think it was a backward step. I thought it was a step in the right direction. And so so it has proven, I, you know, like in my job, I make I inherited, for example, I inherited a legal department that had zero black people and had very few 
minority law firms or minority partners at majority law firms representing us. And that for me was not a good, a good group to have. And so one of the very first things I did was go out and hire diverse people and brought in women and people of color into my legal department because I think you get the best legal minds together in a room from different backgrounds, we get better answers. We also made clear to our law firms, we want diverse partners as relationship partners. And the firms that don't want to do that, they don't work for us. And I have, I have a CEO that supports that. We have a company that supports that. And so in my mind, what I set out to do, I think I'm doing, which is be an influence, be a standout that people can look up to and, and, and try to make change from within. And I, and I, and I think I'm on my way to doing that. Well, I, I, I know you are, and I know you well enough to know that you're not going to stop until you've, you've done it like, you know, spectacularly. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. So let, let's, let's go to some fun stuff here. Um, soccer, or should I say football? Um, you, should, you should never, ever, ever say soccer. That is not going to work. <laughs> Okay. It's not going to work. I thought you were going to say that. So I know that you have a love of football, that you're a huge football fan. You know, tell us where that came from. Did you play? Did you want to play professionally? You know, who's your team? You know, talk to me about that. Yeah, like we should set an hour aside for this conversation. <laughs> I, 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 I grew up like most kids playing football. Um, I had delusions of grandeur that I could be a great footballer. My mother didn't share that view. She <laughs> thought I should stay in school, and I, I, I think she probably had the she probably had the better of that discussion. Um, so I I stayed in school. I played football throughout my schooling days. I still play football on a team that I play with in London whenever I'm in London. I've been playing with that same team for 30 plus years. Wow. Uh, and um, I, I grew up in an area of North London where, you know, you supported Tottenham or you supported Arsenal and I chose to support Tottenham. Uh, it's a labor of love, as you know. I I travel extensively and I make it a duty to go to as many games as I can. Um, you know, you outside. I'm very passionate about my work, right? But outside of work, you you want to have some hobbies that you enjoy because the job itself is is really difficult and it's stressful and some outlet that allows you to sort of live a little. Some people play tennis, some people like to swim, some people like to do fencing, which I would not advise, but <laughs> to reach his own. Um, but for me, just going to a football game, I support Tottenham Hotspur, as I said. I try to get to as many games as I can. And it just- I think gives you go to all of them, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I don't, have you missed any? <laughs> I, I miss some. I miss some. And like one of the advantages of being able to work from home or anywhere you are these days is it doesn't matter where you're sitting. So right. I could be in London. I do the same work I do in New York and um, I could go to a game and, and see my mom. And um, 
you know, it's 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 good to have balance because the job can be all consuming, right? And as professionals, we take our we take our responsibilities very very seriously, and um, but but we also need an outlet and we need to have some fun, and that is that is my way of having fun. It's also my way of seeing my friends that I grew up with. You know, everybody's doing well, but we don't see each other as much. So it, it's a chance to get together with family and friends and and have a good time. And we're always yelling about something. So, <laughs> you know, it, well, it, it grounds you. Well, and also I've noticed uh, that you seem to be able to get in the locker room and on the field. And I mean, what is your what is your association with the team? Uh, I can't tell you that. Have <laughs> <laughs> you told me you have to you kill that. me? <laughs> but, 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 you know, I, 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 um, so there's something called the Tunnel Club. I sit in the Tunnel Club, which is a very, very exclusive area of the stadium, and the players are next door when they finish playing. So you mm. get to mingle with the players and, you know, people you consider heroes or whatever, and um, yeah, you go in the dressing room and you're part of. I mean, as I said, I played the game, so I have I have a love for the game beyond the norm, and and some of the players I know because I hung out with them, and um, it's just an interesting way to see behind the scenes, and and that's that's fun for me. I mean, I can watch the game on TV and it'd be fine, but being being at the stadium, being with the players, hanging out with the players, it's always fun. Yeah. I, I guess yeah. I'm living. I'm get. I guess I'm living the life that, <laughs> that I would otherwise have liked to live if I wasn't a lawyer. So it's fun. Yeah, you're you're living that life, but you don't have to go out there and run up and down the field every day for a living, right? Ooh, right. So are are you? Do you are you familiar with the show Ted Lasso? Yes, I am familiar. Every American asks me that question. Hi, right, do you watch Ted Lasso? I'm like, yes, so, I, I mean, what do you think of? I mean, it, what do you think of the fascination that you know Americans are having with that show? And 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 I mean, what what are your thoughts? You know, it's interesting. I watch it. Um, I haven't watched season three because usually I just want to watch it all in one go. Yeah. Um, I. I I think it's actually less about the game, right? It's more about the people and interpersonal relationships. And there's a certain quaintness to it that is unspoiled, if you will, which is different from most American shows in my mind. Um, I, I enjoy it, not for the foot. The football is dreadful. Uh, <laughs> That's I, what I wanted I, to know. <laughs> you know I, I don't enjoy it for the football, but I enjoy it for everything else around it. And then I plug myself into what I know about football and what I have seen. I have friends whose kids are professional footballers. I have friends who have been professional footballers. So I can, I just, so it puts you at the center of all of that and you know what's BS and what's not. But it's a good show, not not so much about the football, but about the human relationships. And, you know, one of the players came from another country, don't speak no English and still had to figure it out. When I came to America, I didn't speak Ebonics, but I had to figure it out as well. <laughs> it, it was, they don't speak Ebonics anymore. I People don't say that. You don't hear that word anymore, right? No, Remember don't. back in the 90s, I was like the thing. Uh, you know, well, but anyway. 
but we still have to code switch, right? I mean, I, I right. don't know, you know, you, you speak the King's English, but I, so I don't know if you feel like you have to code slit, switch just being a black person, but I, I feel like I code switch. Yeah, no, we all have to, right? Because it's the, the rules of engagement and you have to stay within the rules. Although some people don't want to stay within the rules. We say different conversation. <laughs> a whole different conversation. And so, okay, so do you like um, U.S. football, or is, or would you just prefer an, a different U.S. sport? I, I think you mean American football. Which yeah, I'm sorry, American football. Okay. I, I don't. I mean, I've been to two Super Bowls. I don't know what they do, but. I can tell you when there's a touchdown. I think I've figured that out after 20 something odd years of living in the US. I, I I enjoyed the playoffs more than the regular season games, you know? And it's that whole lose or go home thing. It makes it more interesting. As I said, I think I've been to two Super Bowls now. I've enjoyed both of them more so for the atmosphere than, I mean, I'm a sports fan, right? So. Right. Just about any sports can be interesting other than golf, because I don't even know that that's a sport, to be honest. But um, ah, I'm a golfer. It's a sport. I, I, I know <laughs> you're a golfer. Well, you take yeah. away the ball and it's just walking. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, so I enjoy sports. I, I Basketball is probably the closest to football in terms of American sports that I like. So I I like the Golden State Warriors. I like Stephen Curry or Steph Curry as they call him. And um, basketball's my thing. Okay, all right. So New York or London, which one? That's a tough one. Not a fair question, too. I mean, my my family is in London, right? And my team is in London. So for those two reasons, I would pick London. But I I think it's a very, very close call. I mean, New York is a tough place to leave. I enjoy it, but it's a really tough place to leave. And so what, what other place in the world... Would you say that everybody should should visit? Is there one place that you've been that you feel like everybody should should visit? Uh, ooh, I'd say Barcelona. I really like. I Barcelona. love it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably the one place. You know how people make a little bit of money and they go buy a second home. If I had a little bit of money, I would buy a second home in Barcelona. I really like Barcelona. Yeah, I like, you know, it reminded me of like a, almost like a, it reminded me more of Paris than Spain for some reason. But yeah, no, I agree with that. And I just came back from Paris. I, I, I like Paris, but not in the same way right paris is just another big city they, they like london paris new york i mean to me they're not just but there's something about barcelona that is less quaint you know what i thought you were going to say is it doesn't remind me of dc in terms of the architecture in terms of other things but it's got that the more mellow vibe mm-hmm. right? and flavor it has some flavor right right, right. 
I, I, and I just, I, I mean, Spain generally has a lesser crazy vibe than New York, right? But I, I like Barcelona a lot. I wouldn't mind owning a place there. Okay, well, when you buy it, let me know. I, I, I want to visit. I would like to know. <laughs> And, and we're going to Nigeria. Don't forget. For, for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> so we're almost out of time, Claudius. This has been wonderful. I am smiling ear to ear. I love your story. You know, I I am um, I'm just I'm glad to have met you and be your friend and and you know each other's confidants. But before we end, you know, I just want to ask you, you know. What words of encouragement or advice do you have for others, particularly, you know, uh, young people, people of color, people, you know, immigrant, you know, first gen people in, in, in our profession or in, the, you know, in general um, about, you know, maintaining, maintaining your authenticity, uh, and, but still striving for success? You know, I'm still looking for advice myself, right? <laughs> the, 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 the thing that I, I always say to people is, look, you got to figure out where you want to go. And then you got to figure out all the people that are going to help you get there. And you got to be true to yourself. And, 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 and that kind of sounds almost cliche, but it has worked for me. I, I, I generally find folks to surround myself with who can help me be a better version of me. And, um, you know, the difficult part of this is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. But there are people who know what I don't know, and I just try to find them. And then I take from every little thing that people tell me and I come up with my own my own path. It is very, very rare that I only follow one person's views. I I try and get a number of different views and then you know bring them together to find what works best for me. And what what works best for me doesn't always work for everybody else. I I kind of have always I was raised to think that I was different. I was mm-hmm. raised to think that I was unique. I was raised to think that I'm badass. I mm-hmm. still think I'm badass. You are. And so I just take my badass self and go do badass things. And sometimes, frankly, I can't tell you how I did it until it's been done. And then I reflect on that. And But, but what has been a constant um, is hard work, is not being too big for my own shoes, finding people who know who've been there and who are honest and and people of integrity and good standing in society who I align with and try and learn from. I I I I'm a, I think I've checked all the boxes that I set out to check when I bought it when I bought the plane to come to the U.S. in 1996, but I still have mentors. I still have people I turn to and say, hey, look, how do I manage this? This is what's going on. This is what's happening with the board. Can I can I get some words of wisdom? And I usually end up appearing much smarter and much wiser than I am 
because there are people I can turn to who can help me. And that that to me is, is very important, not being able to surround yourself with people who are good people and, and, and people who can help guide your career, even if they're your peers sometimes. So, you know, I have quarterly meetings with my, what I call my kitchen cabinet of people and we talk things through and, um, you know, sometimes I call you and say, hey, what do you think? Right. I want to do this. What, what do you think? And and then you go make a decision and you hope you're making making all of the right decisions. And it's not always right, right? You make mistakes and you get off and you start over. And that's that's where perseverance comes in. And so that's that's what I think. Well, what I would say is what you know, is that one, you're not afraid to ask for help. And and there's nothing wrong with asking for help. Anybody who claims that they made it or have been successful without any help is delusional, right? Um, and then the other takeaway that I have from 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 knowing you and everything that you've said to on this podcast is that you have courage. And, and it takes courage um, to do things that might be, you know, different, to do things outside of the box, you know, take a risk, have the courage to do it. And and you've definitely done that. Well, I've tried to. So um, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, our time is up. I I, I hate to say it, but uh, it's a great, this is a great place to end. You talked about differences and that's what this is all about. And I just want to say thank you, Claudius, for being here to BS with me today. Thank you. And thanks for having me. I It's 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 been an honor to call you my friend and I, I look forward to many, many years of that friendship. Absolutely. I'm not going anywhere except to Nigeria or Barcelona. So and thank you to everyone for listening. And until next episode, remember that everybody is different and different is good. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now from the beginning. We hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS, Beyond Stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness on the world.